A popular claim by Sooners fans today, tomorrow, and for the next month will be the college football playoff committee got it right. Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3, Oklahoma 4. But if you ask Urban Meyer, Dwayne Haskins, or an Ohio State fan, they'll tell you the committee got it wrong. If you ask Kirby Smart, a Georgia fan, or Kirk Herbstreet, they'll tell you the committee also got it wrong. So the question becomes, who's actually correct? The answer to that question is actually not as subjective as you may think. When the college football playoff selection process was initially adopted all the way back in 2012, a specific criteria was outlined for selecting the four best teams. The committee was instructed to put emphasis on winning conference championships, strength of schedule, and head-to-head competition when comparing teams with similar records and pedigree. Going into the conference championship weekend, Alabama and Notre Dame were essentially locks to make the playoff based on this following passage. At the same time, providing enough flexibility and discretion to select a non-champion or independent under circumstances where that particular non-champion or independent is unequivocally one of the four best teams in the country. The passage continues. When circumstances at the margins indicate that teams are comparable, then the following criteria must be considered. Championships won. Strength of schedule. Head-to-head competition, if it occurred. Comparative outcomes of common opponents without incentivizing margin of victory. Those are the guidelines, and they have not changed since the playoff was adopted. Based on those guidelines, the debate over the fourth spot should have come down to Oklahoma and Ohio State. The fact that so many smart people were banging the table for Georgia tells me they don't understand the committee's selection process at all or just don't care. So did the committee get it right? Maybe. OU and Ohio State had resumes that were incredibly similar, but I lean to the Sooners because of these points. OU's loss wasn't nearly as bad as Ohio State's loss. OU's offense is historically good again and significantly better than Ohio State's Also very good offense. Defensively, Oklahoma is terrible. Everybody knows that. But Ohio State is also bad on defense this season. Not as bad as OU, but still not great. So I give the slight edge to the Sooners. So why was Georgia ever in the conversation after the Bulldogs lost to Alabama Saturday night? Well, maybe ESPN personalities were trying to drum up interest and drama for Sunday's selection show. Or they were being genuine. I don't know those answers. But here's my final issue with this whole controversy, and I'm using air quotes when I say the word controversy. Why did the committee put Georgia at five ahead of Ohio State at six? Based on the selection guidelines, that's illogical. The metric of championships won clearly helped Oklahoma get into the fourth spot. But for some reason, that same metric did not help Ohio State move to number five. Instead, a non-champion with two losses got into the five spot. (sighs) Everything is stupid, but I'm happy that Oklahoma gets to play at least one more meaningful game this season, hopefully two. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Third down and ten. Two timeouts for Texas. Oklahoma by five. Murray lost one up for Kevin. What a catch! With the defender on him, it looked like.
Craig, he steered it with one hand. Grant Calcaterra with two minutes to go. Grant Calcaterra welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. That 18-yard, one-handed touchdown grab late in the fourth quarter. Saturday effectively won Oklahoma its fourth straight Big 12 title. The Sooners get revenge on Texas, 39-27 in Arlington. We've got a jam-packed show for you today. The final college football playoff rankings, OU Texas, the rematch, three-word reviews, and the best argument for playoff expansion you'll hear anywhere. And I've developed another layer to my argument for expansion that I'll break out today. I love this argument, and those who listen to this podcast, I think you might love it as well. I don't think Grant's heard this one yet, so it'll be new to him as well. That's all coming up later. First off, feel free to navigate over to iTunes where you're probably playing this show right now. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review if you'd like. We always appreciate your feedback and support. The West of Evers Facebook page has also been growing nicely. We invite you to like the page on Facebook so you can stay up to date with the show. Grant's on Twitter. You can follow him at Grant Benson 25. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Facebook and Twitter are the platforms where you can follow along with us and also provide your opinions as well as three word reviews after OU games. Finally, you can email the show West of Everest at gmail.com. Here we go. As we bring in Grant, let me lay out the show here. Right now, we're going to touch on the playoff rankings just somewhat briefly. Then we'll break down OU Texas, then do three-word reviews, and then talk some more about the playoff and why it's all stupid and needs to change. That's my opinion. So, Grant, the rankings are out. You heard my opening take. The floor is yours now. What say you? Lee, this is, this is probably the most excited I've ever been to do, or to, to do this podcast. I am fired up. I, I got so triggered during the, the selection show uh, or whatever they're billing that thing as. That thing was a freaking farce. <laughs> farce um just i i ever since that sec championship game ended last night and even even when it was still going on i don't know if i've ever seen much more of a deluge of bad opinions in my entire life awful opinions and so, right, we'll, so- we'll we'll and, and we'll, we'll get into that more but i think it's just a little it's it's pretty unfortunate that that has to happen especially on a day when let's be honest that Saturday was was an absolutely wonderful day to be an Oklahoma Sooner fan it was a great great day it was it it was a day that worked out about as perfectly as one could hope one of uh, one who's a Sooners fan could hope because you got Oklahoma beating Texas by double digits the defense played certainly a lot better than the first time around against Texas And then you go to the SEC title game where Alabama gets a touchdown win. And if you're into the Heisman Trophy talk, it's hard to imagine at this point Kyler Murray not being the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Kyler should be hoisting that statue next Saturday. I'm sure as we get into this show, we can talk more about that. So, yeah, to your point, it was a fantastic Saturday for Oklahoma football. And now on Sunday, as we record this podcast, we find out Oklahoma is officially once again in the college football playoff as the four seed. And so everything worked out on Saturday the way it was supposed to if you're an Oklahoma Sooners fan. But you got Ohio State fans over in one corner who they have a legitimate gripe, Grant. Uh, if I'm an Ohio State fan today, I am not happy because this is a perfect example of why four teams is so stupid. Ohio State had a legitimate claim to a playoff spot. I mean, they're 12-1 and with a Big Ten Conference champ. And this is the first time, I believe, in the years of the playoff, which this is, what, the fourth year of the playoff? 
that a 12 and one conference champ is not in the college football playoff. Now I might have to do a little bit of research in the last few years to see if that's right. true, but I'm You're pretty right. sure that's true. Yep. Last year, just to be clear, Ohio State was left out as the conference champ, but the Buckeyes had two losses. They had that loss to Iowa, that terrible loss to Iowa, then, of course, the loss to Oklahoma. So, okay, you, you lose two games, you're out, even though you're a conference champ. This time, Ohio State is out, and not only is Ohio State out, Grant, Ohio State was sixth in the final rankings with a two-loss Georgia team, a non-champion, at five. Like I said, my opening take going against all of the criteria set out by the college football playoff selection process, and it doesn't matter, I guess, because the final four teams are set and it's not going to change. But logically, it, again, it just does not make sense that Georgia is five and Ohio State is six. And I think this is another reason why, a big reason why you were so annoyed with all of the opinions over the last 24 hours. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, that as well. There, I mean, there's there's other parts of it, too. Um, one of the biggest, because, I mean, the main argument of anybody advocating for Georgia is that they pass the eye test, correct? I mean, that's the only argument that they have, which, of course, I think brings up the logical counter argument of, okay, why aren't we talking about Notre Dame then, too? Why aren't we just talking, why aren't we just putting the top four teams in the recruiting rankings in then? You know, I'm sick of this stuff. And these people, they, they have no idea what they're talking about from a logical standpoint. They're just making, they're making stuff up as they go. It's, it's pretty clear. It's very transparent. What do you make of Kirk Herbstreet, a guy that... He's wrong. Like Kirk He's Herbstreet. an idiot. He, That's he's so wrong about this. He's he so such freaking a, wrong. He has a great track record, though. We like Kirk Herbstreet. He's, he usually has really good college football opinions. And I don't understand it all his idea for banging the drum for Georgia it just does not make any sense at all and I agree with you it's incredibly wrong and does it matter no it doesn't matter it just makes you wonder what are you thinking man because you follow this sport closer than anybody and the eyeball test like you said just it doesn't wash and you made a good point with Notre Dame that would come up and then I saw too he clearly is he just has a – he does not like the fact that Oklahoma's defense is so bad. And, you know, that's fair. Oklahoma's defense is, is terrible. But whenever he was arguing, I saw Saturday night after the ACC title game when he was doing the game, and he was going over the, the resumes just kind of off the top of his head, and I think he brought up Georgia probably and Ohio State. And he got to Oklahoma, and he was – he said, Oklahoma, they beat Texas today. And then he kind of paused, and he just was like – the, the implication, what else have they done? I mean, Kirk, literally a week ago, they beat West Virginia in Morgantown. I mean, so he clearly, he hasn't even given much thought to Oklahoma because he totally forgot about the fact that they just beat West Virginia on the road. So uh, clearly he just, he just doesn't really count Oklahoma, but it doesn't matter because at 11 and two and not winning the conference championship and with a 20, whatever point loss to LSU, Georgia just does not fit the criteria of being a playoff team. I'm sorry, you had your shot against Alabama. You had Alabama beat again, and then Chua came out. And here's the thing, another stake in the heart of Georgia, Grant. Jalen Hurts came into the game. Jalen Hurts is nowhere near as good as Tua Tagovailoa. Granted, Tua was a little hobbled. Jalen Hurts, Hurts and Sam Ellinger are the same player. <laughs> I think Hurts is a little faster than Ellinger. Yeah, I was, yeah, with the qualifier, I think Ellinger is a little bit better of a passer, and I think Hurts is a little bit better of a runner. But I think in terms of effectiveness, they're, they're basically the same player. That really hurt Georgia, though, is that they couldn't 
keep that lead and win that game when Tua went out. When Jalen Hurts, who's barely played at all this season, he's not a bad player. Uh, he's just he's nowhere near as good as Tua, though. And Georgia all of a sudden couldn't play defense again. It was I know the the parallels to last year's national championship game are there. It's so shocking. I saw a a tweet on a tweet on Twitter just from Georgia fans saying like, "Oh my gosh, it happened again against Alabama, just with different quarterbacks." It's crazy. So yeah, it, that's another. Uh, knock against Georgia is that not only did you lose to Alabama granted it was a touchdown and I know they played pretty well in that game but Jalen Hurts ended up beating you in the end and Jalen Hurts is not Tua wait I don't let's let's not get too far into the weeds because I think we're going to go back to this after we we break down the Big 12 championship I just want to put just because you know I I have been really emotional about this ever since you know yesterday evening when when all of the talk started Um, I'll give the, the people advocating for Georgia I suppose, you know, I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt and just in the thought processes, I think they're just getting really, really hung up on that choose the four best teams thing. And they're just not they're not but they're not being they're not being thoughtful enough about it, though, is, is what I think uh, is happening with those people. And I think after that, they call after they calm down, uh, they'll realize that the committee made made the right decision. I think these are the exact same people who are probably advocating for Ohio State to jump Oklahoma last week and the exact same people who are telling us that Michigan was a great team two weeks ago. So I just I it's all based off of emotion. I, I, I'm and I'm, I'm glad that the committee just kind of shut all of that out in the end. But at the same time, maybe they didn't because they did end up putting Georgia ahead of Ohio State. And that is just materially wrong. It was wrong for them to do that. So um, that's, that's where we'll leave it for now. I really want to talk about this, the, the Big 12 championship game, uh, because I'm, I'm also fired up about that game. What, a, what an outstanding football game that was. So a little uh, for the record for you, Grant has put a lot of thought into this he's watched back the game he has tons of notes on my end I haven't watched back the game I will have my thoughts based off of surface level I was able to watch the whole thing because the 11 a.m kick even though I had to work on Saturday it was early enough to where I could watch it for the most part not distracted I didn't have time because since again since I worked to really go back and rewatch it I figured you know what we have a month between games now we have plenty of time to talk if you all really want my in-depth thoughts on this OU Texas game after a rewatch then I I will certainly provide those for you but they will not be today but Grant has them and because of that Grant I will let you begin the discussion of OU Texas the Sooners win 39-27 and uh, the first note you have on here is, is a big one it's something that we saw right off the bat to start the game no Buki in the lineup Trey Norwood starting at strong safety officially for Oklahoma and also according to Oklahoma's official starting lineup from that game, Grant, it looks like they went back to their old 3-4 look with Ronnie Perkins assuming the role as the Jack linebacker on Saturday. And, of course, we did see him from time to time put his hand in the ground and go back to that even front. Not so sure how much I... Like that idea that they went back to the old 3-4 that just hasn't really worked a whole lot, but the defense did play pretty well, Grant, so let's start with that. Norwood starting, Buki not. Yeah, and I thought if you actually look at kind of what happened, that looked, that looked to be a pretty clever little move they made uh, because, you know, Norwood did have his moments where he was out of position. There were some times where he probably should have been flagged when he wasn't. Uh, I'm thinking of one uh, occurrence kind of in the second half. 
Um, there was also another time where he did pick up a PI on a on what would have been an interception by Robert Barnes. But Lee, for the most part, Trey Norwood did a really good job on LJ Humphrey. And that was that is a surprise to me. Uh, just because you, you did see some uh, some moments where where Humphrey was able to body up Norwood and shield him away from from the ball. But Lee Norwood was was there pretty much every single time. And he forced Sam Ellinger to make perfect throws to Humphrey, which he did on occasion. But other times he wasn't able to. And I thought Norwood played for the most. He, he wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination. He had too many negative plays for him to be great. But man, he was pretty effective, and that was that was quite the difference between what we've been what we've seen from Buki the last you know the second half of the season at safety, which you know frankly he's been he's been quite uh, quite quite a negative on the defense, quite a blind spot. And I think Norwood had some you know did did a lot of today what he did last year, and he just kind of calmed down things at his position. Uh, he did that last year coming in for Jordan Thomas in the second half of the year, and I thought today. That he did a good job of that. There were no busts from his position today. You keep saying today. You realize the game was yesterday. I know, but still, I'm still living in the moment, man. And also for those, actually, we're going to record uh, release this on Sunday. But yeah, okay. So maybe because you just rewatched the game again today, so you're saying today. Yeah, that's that's probably what it was. I just I yeah I, I did a deep rewatch too. I did like kind of a two hour rewatch on it and just kind of closely looked at every single play. And I just man, that was a great game on Saturday. It, it it really was. That was a really good. I thought I thought Texas's defense was really good. Um, I thought Oklahoma did a good job of stopping what was giving them trouble the first time around against Texas. Um, and I, I have it in notes here too. It does look likely that they they're basically back right to their um, to their base defense from last year with Ronnie Perkins basically playing his oboe. That's that's kind of what I'm seeing. That's right what now. they. I mean, you look at the official game details. And that's the starting lineup that Oklahoma had out there. And it's not like, yeah, I mean, that's that's what they went with. Uh, I, again, I'm not thrilled about that. I thought it, again, was, defense, it worked for this game. Was fine. It, it was sure, good for this game. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with this against Alabama unless for you know some act of God, Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback. But, um, yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I, I thought this was this was probably the right call to play against Texas because it really was inside of the box that they just got destroyed uh, the first time around, and they held up much better this time around. Lee, the front seven, for the most part, actually played a really good game on Saturday. So real quick, back to Norwood. I got to give him a lot of credit because he's a corner, and in one week, having to play strong safety and move with very little preparation time in my opinion safety is much more difficult to play than cornerback because at safety you have a lot more space that you're responsible for for the most part at cornerback you're either playing man or maybe you have a zone maybe half the field not even that maybe a quarter of the field a third of the field cornerback's just not that difficult compared to safety in my opinion and so moving from corner to a more difficult position especially strong safety where you're going to be asked to be a little more physical and play more more near the box a little bit more a lot of credit to Trey Nor because that's not easy and he had a he had a okay yeah he played fine yeah he made enough plays and there's certainly still some technique issues and some ball skill issues that I have a problem with he wasn't just, perfect by any that's what we're gonna have to deal with that's what we're gonna have to deal with with Oklahoma secondary players because they just don't they don't know how to use proper technique, specifically Parnell Motley, who I don't know how, when you want to talk about him, but he had a he had a, a rough game. He had a rough, rough game. He made a play or two here and there, but for the most part, Parnell Motley was disappointing after playing very well for the last month or so. 
But uh, again, Trey Norwood, I'll give him credit because it's very difficult changing positions like that in a big game in this setting. And he held up. So good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And so, God, I have so many just kind of random, uh, random. So the next thing here. you have here, busted coverages on opening drive. How much do you want to talk about that? Oh, not a ton. I just I thought they were interesting because it did. And it, it was cleaned up the rest of the game, but they were both on the same. It was both Barnes and and uh, and Motley who were confused. So uh, they were both just straight up busted coverages. I think the first time it was Barnes and the second time it was Motley who was confused. So I don't know. I, I don't know if you had any thoughts about that. I went back and watched it. Um, well, the busted coverages you're referencing are the two incomplete passes, though, right? Yeah, that exactly. Texas didn't even convert. Yeah. And, and so, it, it didn't end up mattering because Texas scored on the drive anyway. But I don't remember. I know one was was Norwood because there was one where they were looking at the sidelines and it looked like back when Mike Stoops was still the defensive coordinator and they were all confused and they didn't get a call in and you saw heads turn towards the sideline when the ball was snapped and clearly Norwood was like oh I'm supposed to blitz on this play so he just blitzed from way back which opened up the entire left half of the field and Ellinger just threw it too far so I don't know if that one. was that was the first one and then this um, actually, no, that was, no, that that was, was the second, second one. one. Yeah, and then the, on the, the first, first one, one, I don't. That, the first one was Robert Barnes. I don't know what he was doing. He was I, my, playing. It's like it was like a single high look. My, but if it wasn't a single high look, Robert Barnes was running towards the box, my and he theory, left his entire half open too. Oh, my theory is that he was playing cover four, and then he just bit really, really hard on the play action, and then he was just caught in no man's land, and then just decided to stick around oh. the line of scrimmage. I thought, I thought that's what he was doing. It wasn't even very good play action, though. That's, yeah, maybe. I mean, he has been a little more aggressive trying to come down to the box and I, up against the run. And I so. only say that just because I watch it, because I, I see him react instantly to the play fake, and then he comes All up right. near the line of scrimmage, and he just kind of sits there like, oh, I don't know what to do now. Yeah, and he got like he just was kind of like roaming around and doing... And and the receiver was in his exact vacated spot, so I I happen to think that was that was Robert Barnes just being a little too aggressive there and you know not, not reading his keys correctly. But I don't know. We, I mean, we don't have to go too far into that. I just, I, you know, I, I wrote down everything. Uh, my next thing is, Lee, is that it seemed like LJ Humphrey was kind of neutralized in this game, which was, uh, which was really nice to see, obviously. Let's see. I'm looking to see his numbers here. Seven catches, 51 yards. He did have that touchdown. The touchdown in the second half, I mean, that was a good play. Caleb Kelly had the coverage, and it was a good timing route, good rhythm throw by Ellinger, and... Difficult to defend, so... Yeah, actually, I didn't have any you, you problem with cap. that. Actually, yeah, I thought Kelly was actually in decent position there, um, and it was a perfect throw, which actually, you know, Ellinger had some perfect throws on Saturday, and sometimes you just got to tip your cap. Sure. That's true. That's true. A lot of their offense, though, and I don't know where this is in your notes, but and, and this is, I think, mostly... Not mostly, but a lot of Texas's offense this year is just kind of throwing it up to their big guys. And you know what? Man, we'll get a P.I. Because it really seems like, and I think you communicated this to me during the game, those guys, Colin Johnson, Lil Jordan Humphrey, they're very good actors. They do a very good job of selling when it should be a pass interference. Like It's like they're just, it's almost like they practice that. <laughs> yeah, which tells me they do practice it. That I think, I think a lot of those plays where there are just flags on those third downs, I think the main point of those plays is to get a pass interference. Um, just because this uh, Texas is, is not an explosive offense by any stretch of the imagination. Um, per S&P going into this game, Lee, they were 115th in the country in, in creating explosive plays. Um, I think they said on the broadcast, too, they, didn't have, they haven't had a single play this year over 50 yards. 
So, um, mm-hmm. I they're, they're just not an explosive offense. But man, they they they've kind of perfected that whole pass interference offense, just throwing up to their big guys. Because just and, imagine and, if it was an NFL team and they actually got the yardage for it too. Yeah, instead of the and I'm saying yard penalty. And, yeah, and and when they do it, I mean it's it's pass interference. I mean, it's it's pretty blatant when they do call it. So. Um, just you gotta you gotta be much more sound in those situations. I think if you take away those pass interference penalties from that game yesterday, I mean, this is a game that Oklahoma probably wins comfortably. But having that been said, they were it was pass interference, so I, it's not something that you can, you know, you can go too crazy about. How about I? I guess I, I got this sort of feelingly from looking at social media and stuff after the game that, and also message boards. It sounds like Texas fans are pretty upset about the officials in the game. I don't really know how when like. A vast when over half their penalties were procedure penalties in this game, and also hmm. they had blatant a blatant pass interference against Chris Boyd, that blatant uh, face mask against Chris Boyd. Also, um, there was a there was a play in the second half uh, where B.J. Foster should have been ejected for targeting, but Kyler Murray uh, ducked underneath it. He was going for the kill shot. It was a dirty, dirty attempt at a hit um, that wasn't called. So I mean, guys, calm calm down, man. Bad calls go against everybody in every single game. Just you—you you can't be mad at the officials when you have like nine procedure penalties. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and they draw so many pass interference flags that. Uh, granted, I mean there was that one you mentioned that Norwood one. He should have gotten called for pi in the fourth quarter. It was early fourth quarter, and Oklahoma I think had a three point lead. It was a third down play, and, o- and Norwood got away with it. But I mean that's that's one play. Um, yeah, I didn't notice the officials a whole lot. I mean, and at the start, it seemed like the officials, it's like, why did they review that that uh, when Marquise Brown was pulled down, it was, it was pass interference or holding. And I know that Kyler threw a, ended up being a pit because it got batted around, but like it didn't matter because there was a penalty and they reviewed it. I had to have think they, they had to have been looking at if the penalty occurred like before the interception or something. It was stupid. I, I mean, okay, I don't... yeah. I guess that would explain why the review only took about. 15 seconds then all right yeah, that's a good point I hadn't considered that so that's probably why fair enough but I mean it, it it seemed like a pretty typical big 12 refing crew to me I mean they they weren't good because they never are so like I just I don't <laughs> both there were bad calls against both teams deal with it so three stops in the first half by Oklahoma's defense and the Sooners were able to score 17 points off of those stops and I guess we can get more into the offense in a moment about how they had a nice push in the second second quarter, but um, yeah, getting three stops in the first half and then and they actually scored the OU the OU offense uh, on especially on the last two stops of the second half OU scored touchdowns off of them Lee and that's been kind of a problem this year. It seems like when OU's defense has been able to get stops, OU's offense hasn't been able to play that complimentary football. It seems like that's when OU you know gets their kind of mandatory one or two times stops per game is when like directly after OU actually actually does get a stop on on defense and that didn't happen in this game complimentary football was actually played and it was nice it was nice to see and actually you know what normally we break it up between defense and offense but let's just go chronologically through the game then so yeah we're, we're now in the second quarter you're, you're talking about the three stops in the first half Oklahoma's trailing this game 14 to 6 and then the offense Touchdown pass to C.D. Lamb, a beautiful throw by Kyler Murray, a great catch by C.D. Lamb, 14-13. And then the drive near the end of the second quarter, using up clock. It was actually, never mind, it was a, it started with a minute to go, right? So they had a minute to go, and they went down and put it in the end zone. Great throw again by Kyler Murray to Grant Calcaterra. 
and that was that was awesome. I mean, that was great to see, and it kind of reminded me a bit. It was a little different, but it reminded me a bit of the Iowa State game all the way back in September on the road in Ames when Oklahoma, I think, got the ball with about four-ish minutes to go in the second quarter and drove down and took up time on the clock and put the ball in the end zone with like 10 seconds to go before halftime. Perfect. And uh, it's good to see Oklahoma do that because the Sooners got the football to start the second half and subsequently went down and scored to make it a two-score game. Sure. Can I, Lee, can I also mention that those two touchdown passes that Kyler did throw in the second half, those are legit, studly NFL throws, both of them, especially the one to Calcaterra. He was, Calcaterra was not open. He threw Calcaterra open. That was such a good throw. And I I don't think a lot of people are going to, are going to give him enough credit for that. And then the one to CD Lamb was just a freaking frozen rope across the middle of the field that he just beat Caden Sturms over the top. Those were two just amazing throws. And Lee, that was after I thought in the first quarter, Kyler missed some. He missed some throws that he he sometimes can hit. Um, the two to Marquise Brown, um, I can think of. The, the one that Marquise Brown was absolutely interfered on when that was underthrown and Boyd bumped him that they did call the flag. And then the one where I think Boyd may have gotten like a finger on Brown diving for him and Marquise just dropped it. That, that's, that should have been two touchdowns right there that just weren't great throws. Um, but man, when, when Kyler absolutely had to make a throw, on Saturday, he was so money. Uh, it's just, he, he was, I mean, that's the Heisman Trophy winner right there. What else can you say? He was that good. And that's, and that's against a Texas defense. Um, that, that's, that's, that's the best I've definitely seen Texas's front seven play in any game I've watched them this year. They were great. Um, and also, too, this is more of just a stream of consciousness now. Uh, I thought it was interesting, Texas coming out, Lee, they weren't in their usual base dime defense a lot of the time in this game. They came out in nickel which I think, I, I think a lot of that, um, OU not being able to run the ball as well, I think it had Texas coming out in that it probably had a lot to do with that. I think they were surprised by that. And also Texas showed a lot of 3-4 looks as well, trying to get guys into the box. And also Texas, I noticed, did not put that super deep safety playing center field back in this game a whole lot, if, if at all, ever. Again, I didn't rewatch the game like you did. I did go back and watch the first quarter, and when I watched Texas' defense in that first quarter, it, they didn't have, like the first game around where they had, I think it was Caden Stearns or, is that his name, or Jordan Stearns? Which Stearns am I thinking of? Jordan Stearns is his older brother, he used to play for Oklahoma State, I think. Uh, Caden Stearns is the Texas player, right? Gosh, well, yeah, well they, had, um, they had Brandon Jones playing as their safety Jones. in the first game. Like the guy, the center fielder yeah, yeah, was Brandon yeah. Jones. But is that his name though? Is Caden Stearns the guy's name, or I just, I just make that the, up? Caden Stearns is the freshman All Big Twelve safety. Yeah. All right. <laughs> He's a so. Anyways, uh, and he had a brother that played at Oklahoma State, Jordan Stearns. So they didn't have that deep guy as much. So you kind of think maybe Oklahoma would take more shots, and Oklahoma did take a couple shots. But then with Marquise Brown not being as effective, especially getting injured later in the game, that that was taken out. But yeah, the Texas I thought, defense. I thought Marquise Brown was. Eye, I thought Marquise Brown was really effective at getting open. Marquise Brown had a bad game yesterday. He had some drops. He had some. He just he wasn't great yesterday. Yeah, I mean, even when he's not great, he was still very good. Sure, sure. Um, and that would be a huge, a huge loss for him. And we can talk about. Let's talk about Marquise Brown a little bit later because there was some a little bit of information on that ESPN selection show that I found to be potentially useful. But we'll see about Marquise Brown. Let's see. Let's move on. I mean, Texas, I mean, Oklahoma did get that two-score lead grant, but then Texas's offense was able to tie it back up. So what did you see from the defense during that span of the game whenever Oklahoma was up by two scores, up by two touchdowns, 
But then Texas was able to get get even with them and score back-to-back touchdowns and tie it up. Sure. Okay, so right here, Lee, I have, um, and I, I did break kind of like my, my stream of consciousness notes down into, you know, per half. So I'm looking at second half defensive thoughts now. My very first bullet point is uh, for the defense. On first drive of second half, most of the drive is on Motley. And uh, I'm, I'm remembering this specifically back to OU actually got Texas in third and long. Or no, I think it was second and 17 on that play because Perkins opened the half with a sack on yep. Ellinger. And then Motley, with a bail technique, just gives so much room to Colin Johnson, who Ellinger hits over the middle for like 25. And then on the very next play, Motley gives Colin Johnson about 12 yards worth of cushion. And then they just run like a little 10-yard hitch. That, uh, that Motley gives up uh, after the catch as well. So I think on that play, Motley gave up about 40 yards uh, of, of yards on, on receptions to Colin Johnson. And then uh, to finish off the drive, Ellinger had the long touchdown pass to Colin Johnson over Trey Brown, which that honestly, that was just a, that was just a dime by Sam yeah. Ellinger. You can't really do it. That was a great throw that. and a great catch. And that's just a guy throwing up to his big tall receiver. So yeah, Back and to that, I, and I Go like ahead. I bring it up, Lee, because you're you're going to see this because uh, I'm you know <laughs> when when Texas was having success in this game, Lee, it was usually because of Parnell Motley, and I know it's it's mean to kind of pick on him, but pretty much on every single drive where they got their chunk plays, it was all Colin Johnson on on Parnell Motley. And so you mentioned that second and seventeen play. I remember that play, and I remember texting you about it. And this is just Parnell Motley's technique. He likes to use that bail technique. And what I mean by that is that he doesn't take uh, backs, uh, he doesn't backpedal and then decide then, uh, you know, when the receiver starts to go and then, you know, swing his hips over. He immediately from the snap is already in a bail technique where he moves his hips and he's running backwards. Where in that scenario, if the receiver decides to go one way or the other and you don't, react to it immediately you're going to be behind the eight ball and in that particular play I can't remember which way Colin Johnson ended up jab stepping one way or the other but the another the next thing that Parnell Molly always does it seems like is that when he feels like the guy's going to be going deep he turns his whole body around because he thinks he's going to be catching up with the receiver and he ends up turning his back to the play and in that scenario I think Colin Johnson just took a step in and ran like a little bit of a deep in route and he was wide open by 10 yards because Parnell Motley ran himself out of the play. And I think I texted you, bail techniques are designed for players like Marquise Brown, who are, who are burners. Not Colin Johnson. The guy's not going to burn you, Parnell Motley. You're a fast player. Just play him head up, get a little bit of hit on him. Whenever he makes his move, you move your hips and you follow him and you cover him. And, and Leah- it just to me, it just shows very poor technique. And I don't know if that's just him and they've been trying to teach him good technique and he just isn't responding but they don't have anybody else really and he still makes some plays here and there or if they're just teaching poor technique uh, I, I don't see the technique as badly from other players as Motley but that particular play really made me annoyed I think we're gonna see a lot of clarification um, with a new defensive staff next year I, I think uh, about what is wrong with these defensive backs I think we're gonna know pretty much right away I mean if the you know if whoever they bring in is is good you know we'll see sure so, yeah know. that that particular play really bothered me, and um, that was the main one from him that really stood out to me. I know there was a couple others that that he just uh, just kind of he's just he's given either too much cushion or he's he's not giving enough. I don't know it. It was a rough day for him. He did make a nice play at the very end of the game that ended up being the interception by Trey Norwood. 
he was in man coverage and he recognized that the play was going to go to a deeper route and he went off his man and and sunk back to help out Norwood and got I mean he should have picked it off but of course another Oklahoma defensive back dropped a pick but luckily Norwood was there to to catch it off the deflection those are my thoughts on Motley so that that made it 27 to 21 and then Grant that next possession by Oklahoma that was a three and out right yeah a terrible three and out yep Lee and here's the um oh you know what Lee god we got we got a little ahead of ourselves here um, I have to I, I have to bring this up because it, it may have actually been the best play that Kyler Murray has made this year that he made look just incredibly routine. And you'll notice it when you actually go back and rewatch it. But this happened on the very first offensive drive of the second half. Oh, Leaf, yep. I know what you're talking about. Third and five from the OU 45. Murray sidesteps a blitzing Gary Johnson who who could not have perfectly timed uh, the blitz more. And he, he sidesteps him to hit Miles Tease over the middle for a first down. He picked up like 10 on third and five. It is just an unbelievably elite play that Kyler Murray makes look incredibly routine. My goodness, yes. was it yeah, a good that, play? That play was phenomenal. I know exactly the one you're talking about. And again, Trey Sermon doesn't miss blitz pickups a whole lot, but that was a tough one because, like you said, he was uh, the blitzer was timed perfectly, and Sermon got a bit of a hit on him, but he still got through him. And Murray just said, okay, and just did a little juke, not even a juke, but just a little sidestep to the right, kept his composure, saw Tease over the middle of the field, Tease made the play. Boom. And then, okay, and then also, Lee, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, so we'll go to that their, their second drive now. They, go, they went three and out, Lee, and I thought, my notes here said it was very reminiscent of their drives in which they punted in the first game. So like negative plays on first and second downs because that that started with a coverage sack, and then there was just a uh, and then Texas had a really nicely timed run blitz. They got Trey Sermon behind the line of scrimmage, and then uh, and then what happened on, on that third and thirteen is when B.J. Foster should have been ejected from the game for targeting, um, and I think actually yeah Murray actually had C.D. downfield and he had uh, his uh, his throw came up short because he had to duck B.J. Foster, but. Um, yeah, and that, I think that was the last time that Texas actually got OU off the field in the game. All right, and Texas got the ball back. Yeah, okay, I remember that play now where that was a nicely timed blitz as well, and Murray had to just get rid of it. And, and it was uh, it was yeah. the it was exactly how you draw up targeting. I mean, it was textbook targeting. He lowered his entire head and shot himself like a missile directly for Kyler Murray's head. It it was dirty, is what it was. Hmm. So Texas gets the ball back, seven and a half minutes to go in the third quarter, and I'm looking at the play-by-play right now since I didn't get a chance again to go back and go back and rewatch it. Looks like there was a after they got a, a third and short. I mean, third down and ones against Texas. Oklahoma wasn't about to stop them. I mean, that still, even though Oklahoma's running de- run defense was a little better. Every time Texas was in third and short, second and short, it's it was difficult to imagine Oklahoma stopping that, which is a problem you'd like to see them be able to stop teams on short yarded situations more but i see a third down and seven on this drive where sam ellinger finds little jordan humphrey for 18 yards i can't remember that play off the top of my head i'm not it sure was, if you have notes on any yep, of that it was it was a it was a perfect throw from ellinger to, to humphrey norwood was right there and humphrey was just able to to wall him off and right. catch it used I mean Humphrey was able to be 6-6 and and out leverage the the 5-10 safety basically 
So yeah, that was a good drive by Texas. They ended up going down. That was the result of uh, it resulted in that touchdown pass to Humphrey. And that where, was also, but yeah. also too, we we can't let Trey Norwood get away with too much here because if it wasn't for a really bad play by him, that drive would have ended uh, with an interception by Robert Barnes. It was. He, he had his help over the top, and Norwood interfered with Humphrey when he didn't need to, and it cost, it cost OU a takeaway. Oh, yeah, okay, I do see that here. Yeah, it came actually right after that third down play. So it was first down and 10, and, and that was a, if I remember correctly, that seemed to be a pretty bad throw by Ellinger. Uh, yeah, maybe... Uh, Certainly, his last interception was a horrible throw. It even was. I, I'm just saying, like, yeah, Ellinger, absolutely. He Oklahoma played really good zone defense on that play, or at least the safety. Barnes did, did a good job of getting over. He read Ellinger's eyes the entire time, knew he was going to, to Humphrey the entire time, and he got over. Norwood had his help, and he just he panicked when the ball was in the air, and he interfered. And the, it, was, it was just so like every OU defensive back since Kerry Cooks has been the defensive backs coach here. Panic once the ball is in the air, even when you have your help. Yeah. yeah. So it's 27-27. Oklahoma gets the football back. We get to the end of the third quarter. The next drive for Oklahoma results in an Austin Seibert field goal from 31 yards out. And Oklahoma was able to convert some third downs on that play, on that drive. And one of them was to Charleston Rambo because he was into the game after Marquise Brown was hobbled. And it was good to see Oklahoma get all these secondary players involved. You saw Miles Tease making plays. We talked about him a moment ago on that third down play that Kyler Murray made. Nick Basquin in the fourth quarter was uh, had a, a bunch of, not a bunch, he had two or three really great plays on that drive where they ended up getting the, the, uh, the two-score touchdown. Charleston Rambo caught a third down conversion catch on this drive that ended up resulting in a field goal for Austin Seibert. It's just so nice to see Oklahoma the offense have all these secondary type players when I say secondary I'm talking about players obviously not Trey Sermon not Kennedy Brooks not C.D. Lamb not Marquise Brown and I guess not Grant Calcaterra everybody can pitch in and Lincoln Riley's not afraid to have everybody pitch in which is so important to this offense absolutely and I think that that fits in perfectly with just kind of what my general thoughts overall with uh, with the offense were in this game and I guess I'll just say this now uh, because I don't think there's a better time to bring it up but I, I just I don't think the offense had their best stuff today, and I I, I think on it was Saturday. On yeah, keep saying geez, today, I, keep saying, I know so I'm weird. sorry. I know I don't know the why. The entire weekend just kind of it's all just blurring to together you. for me. I don't think OU's offense had their best stuff on Saturday, and I thought it was it was pretty similar to kind of the first game against Texas in that light. Um, the difference this time was that the OU defense allowed the offense not to have to press as much. Um, and because of that, Lee, I thought the offense in this game had a unique ability to grind out drives. And that's something that good teams can do when they don't have their best stuff. And for a sports, for a sports analogy, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out here. I thought that was the equivalent of Clayton Kershaw grinding through like seven innings, giving up two runs on seven hits on a night where he just didn't have his best stuff and couldn't locate his fastball. I, I thought that's, that's what this game was for Oklahoma's offense. And um, when they needed to, Kyler Murray came through and just threw absolute dimes. And I thought, I thought really that was the story of this game because I thought Texas's front seven, frankly, played out of their minds. Particularly on the final touchdown drive, Oklahoma converted three third downs on that drive. And I don't want to jump ahead that far yet because the biggest defensive play of the game happened before that. I don't know if you want to get to that now. Yeah, we can get but, to that because uh, it. So what happened? So Cybert 
uh, kicked a field goal to go up 30 to 27. And of course, Cybert, like, three for three kicking field goals. And even I know the last one banked off the, the uprights. I do have to bring it up to Kyler Murray missed CD lamb uh, on that third and seven um, down there as well. It would have been a touchdown if it would have been an accurate throw. Uh, CD beat his man on, on the inside and it was one-on-one coverage. I think it would have been a touchdown in all likelihood if, if Kyler could have hit him. Um, but, I mean, it obviously didn't matter. And then so it was that next drive, Lee, where um, I think on third down, or it was either on third or first down, they, they threw a, a pass interference play up to Colin Johnson. Um, that was the obvious intent of the play, I thought, and Parnell Motley interfered with him. Probably the most blatant interference of the day. Um, third and 10. It, was it on third down as well? Third oh, and 10. And this is after the Cybert field goal, right? So Oklahoma was up by a field goal. Yep. Third and 10. Oklahoma's get, almost getting... Texas off the field on a three and out and another pass interference penalty. Yep. And then, and then also, I mean, and then OU actually stopped them the next two plays. And then on third and eight, uh, after that, Nor- Norwood was able to uh, get away with probably what should have been a yes. PI uh, on LJ Humphrey. And then yep. that, Lee, that is what uh, led to, I believe, the play uh, or the drive where, where CD fumbled on the long catch and run. And I'm sure everyone that's listening to this podcast who was watching that game on TV when they saw that play unfolding and C.D. Lamb, was, he made a great play. But once he got into the open field and you could tell he was trying to find his blocks and he was kind of gliding out there trying to find extra yards, I think everyone probably saw that coming where a Texas defender from behind flying in was going to probably knock the ball out because that ball was hanging out there in his left arm. And it just – I've. I felt like that was coming from a mile away when CD started making those moves. Did you have that same thought too? Yep, I think the last 10 yards of his run I was screaming get down at the TV. Just please go down. Yep, just and I, go down to the I ground. I say that a lot. And you know what CD is actually usually pretty good at giving up on the play once he realizes that he has nowhere to go. He he was he did not do a good job of that uh, on that play. Like I mean it was <laughs> Yes, I, I I always kind of get scared in situations like that because that's always sort of like the logical conclusion to make when a guy is like kind of darting around out there like that. So I mean, obviously it led to what I mean for my money is, jeez, I don't know, definitely the biggest defensive play since that fumble recovery for a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. Uh, but God, that Trey Brett just. Feed that play right into my veins. The the sack and safety. I love that play so freaking much. <laughs> it was so cool. It was it was absolutely out of nowhere. And I think everybody was just as shocked as Sam Ellinger was when he was getting hit. Because all of a sudden, just boom. Trey Brown was on top of him like a missile. And it was like, oh my God, the, the safety. <laughs> Like, yeah, and I was just like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, they confused somebody with the blitz. They, it's like, oh, it's just, and it was great. I mean, it, like Trey Brown came just shot out of a cannon. Him, hit the closing speed on Ellinger was shocking. And uh, it just, he, I mean, he blew him up. He hit him hard. And so, it couldn't have been more perfect too because you had Texas who was on the hash marks and the blitz came from the boundary side. So there wasn't a whole lot of space there. So Brown didn't have a, a very far distance to go so it was perfectly timed because Ellinger obviously the whole play was designed to go to the the field side the wide side of the field and uh, after the game I heard Trey Brown he said man when I saw Ellinger play action fake the handoff I just had a like a green like a green light <laughs> the blow I mean it's just and he didn't miss I mean he he nailed Ellinger head on <laughs> and 
I think there couldn't have been a more surprised person in the stadium than Sam Ellinger, followed by everybody else that was watching inside Jerry's World and watching on TV as well. But uh, it certainly seemed like Ruffin McNeil wasn't that ex- wasn't that surprised by the play, Grant. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Just cut <laughs> cut to Ruffin McNeil, and it looks like he just woke up from a nap. <laughs> Is a game going on? What? Oh, weird. It's just I love it. I love that so much. It's almost like yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I just I dial up blitzes like no other. And then that's so, two points for us. And so obviously, I mean that's a great play. I, I think just I, I that that's a play that I think people are going to remember for a really long time, especially just because it's been a really you know frustrating season on the defensive side of the ball. And it was just it was nice to see them. They, they made plays yesterday, and it was great. I, I think they sacked Ellinger four times. Um, even, you know, they, they weren't consistently getting to Ellinger, but it was nice to see this time, Lee, when they did get to him, they actually brought him down. Wasn't that nice to see? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just, it's good. I mean, I thought, I thought, you know, if we're, if we're judging on context and, and relative to how they played this year, I mean, I, I'm pretty comfortable saying that that was their best defensive game of the season. Just on, you know, yeah, just, just based on the, with that. On, on the circumstances and, and just, you know where the game was and how they played the first time against Texas. I, I I thought they they played really well yesterday. Real quick before the Trey Brown sack safety on first and ten, Oklahoma got a negative play. Kenneth, Kenneth Mann. Mann had a tackle for loss. Did you mark yep. anything down on that play? I mean yep, that was I, I mean because that obviously set up the second down and eleven to where Texas felt the need that okay we got to throw the ball here on second and long. Yeah, absolutely. And if it wasn't did. for that, then who knows if that play even happens. Yep, I say Kenneth Mann stones Ingram for a two-yard loss on first down as well. And, like, it stoned him. Just threw, threw his blocker to the side and was right there to meet uh, awesome. Keontae Ingram. It, it was great. And you actually and, – and I want to bring up, too, because I thought um, uh, Amani Bledsoe and Neville Gallimore did that pretty pretty consistently on Saturday as well. Just shedding their blockers and meeting, meeting the running back in the hole – uh, Bloodso and Gallimore did a really good job of that on Saturday, and I, I think we should probably tip the caps to them as well. And Lee, I, there's just a lot of people. Caleb Kelly and Curtis Bolton had really good games as well. Um, I, I thought, thought that too. Yep, I thought, I thought Kenneth, that I thought Kenneth Murray was definitely the weakest linebacker uh, of the three who were out there. Um, they, they were just solid all, all the way around, and they made plays. So um, I, I, I thought this is this is probably the most. You know the defensive performance, the defensive performance of the season that just inspires the most confidence going forward. I think they got stuff to build on here, and they weren't perfect. They weren't great by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought they did a good job of playing complementary defense. I, I thought that this is what they need going forward. And you know, if the offense is just a little sharper and plays a little better, this is I I think they can beat anybody playing defense like this. And it's good to see Ruffin McNeil with the flexibility to say, you know what. Buki, he did not look good against West Virginia. Sorry, man. Trey Norwood, we got to put you in there instead. Buki, sorry. And there's actually some consequences to playing poorly. And seeing that in the Big 12 title game gives me hope that not with a month to prepare for Alabama, Oklahoma's defense is going to give up a lot of yards, a lot of points to Alabama, obviously. But maybe there's going to be some creative stuff. Uh, And maybe not necessarily creative, but just some clever, and they're going to be willing to actually look and, and try some things to potentially help get Alabama off the field maybe one or two extra times, which would be great. And it's just good to see the ability to change something and adjust a little bit before a big game like that, especially with only a week to prepare. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's tough to go against you know a good team with a with a really competent coaching staff. It's it's tough to go up against them twice. And Texas really did adjust on the defensive side of the ball. They threw some stuff at Oklahoma that they did not see in the first game. And I think you got to tip your cap to Texas for that. And then you got to tip your cap to Oklahoma for being able to adjust to that. Texas shut down Oklahoma's running game in this game for the most part. And Kyler Murray was able to put the team on his back, and he got them to the promised land with his arm. And, and that's that's something that that in the history of this rivalry, you have not seen a lot from an Oklahoma team. When they're when their running game is struggling against Texas, they typically do not win the game. And that was not the case this time around. And it's just really refreshing to see. It's maybe a sign, you know, in in my eyes that this team is maybe just a little different. And um I, I don't know. Do you do you kind of want to move on to more just like overarching thoughts after the game, or do, is there any more specific plays you want to talk about? Oh, I guess I we think, we haven't talked about the Calcaterra play yet, of course. Well, I was going to say, and before that, I think we need to give that final drive some some podcast time because that was such a huge drive. It took up six and a half minutes off the clock, and Oklahoma converted three third downs on the play, and one of the third downs was the touchdown pass to Calcaterra on third and ten. One of them, third and six from the from midfield, finding Lee Morris. Did you have a? I can't remember what what that play was. I can't. I I don't remember what happened on that play. But Lee Morris got eighteen yards first down. It was it was it on first down? Actually, I do remember. It was. Oh, I do remember. It was. Yeah, yeah. Third and six, and Texas was given some cushion, and Lee Morris was the inside slot receiver to the wide side of the field. And Oklahoma said, "All right, you're going to give us that kind of cushion. We'll just run Lee Morris on a little five yard out, let him catch it, and we'll definitely get the first down." And Lee Morris turned it up field, picked up eighteen. Boom! First down and ten from the thirty-two yard line. And then Trey uh, Trey Sermon. I'm looking at the the game by game here. There was uh, an eight yard carry by him, but there was there was uh, offsetting penalties. So then it was another first down play, no gain. And then Kyler, only one yard. And then one of the more bigger plays of the game, third and nine from the Texas 31. Oklahoma's only up by a field goal at this point. And you're thinking, okay, this is a 48-yard field goal for Austin Seibert. Uh, probably four-down territory here. you got to pick up some yardage here on third down to I set remember up a more manageable time, fourth down. At that time, I texted you and said, this better be four-down territory. And there's about four or five minutes to go in the game here at this point. And what happens? Kyler Murray to Lee Morris for 13 yards. And this play, I can't recall. I don't remember how that, that play happened. Do it, was, you? it was over the middle of the field. It, seemed, I, it was the same play that Murray hit tees on when he made the, the incredible play that he, that he dodged Gary Johnson, I thought. It was the, the exact same play. Um, and uh, I'd have and to go back. Him. and Yeah, he found him. And, and Lee Morris was wide open on that play. So... Uh, oh, and you remember yeah. he got and he got smoked at the end of the play too by he the did. safety. He did, yeah, and mm-hmm. he held on to the ball. Did a good job of hanging on to the ball, and then I think they they ran into a wall the next two plays, and then Lee, we saw a, a play that I think is probably going to go down in OU history as one of the best ever. Well, it was just two. It was an NFL play made by the quarterback and an NFL play made by the tight end. That's, I mean, that's, that's simply yeah. the way you can, only way you can put it. That's what I texted you right after I said, that's just two professionals playing pitch and catch and there's nothing you can do about it. And after the game, Grant Calcaterra just said simply, well, we practice inside fade all the time and it's up to Kyler to get the ball out there to me and it's up to me to make the play. Same and play that uh, Marquise Brown dropped in the end or that Chris Boyd made a good play on in the end zone. They're same, same, same play, same concept. Um, and, and I got it. I just, I'm, I, that was the most excited I, I think I've been on a play um, just in a really long time. I, I lost my mind when he caught that ball. 
Like that, I mean, what an awesome play that was. Just given the circumstances, uh, just a perfect throw, an incredible catch. What a, just against Texas in the Big 12 championship game to, to essentially clinch the game. I, one of my favorite plays in OU history, bar none. It's awesome. At this point, my excitement level for each consecutive play from here on out will always be compared to the fumble six in the Rose Bowl from last year. Yeah. I have not been more excited for a play. That's always going to be kind of the bar right now because of just how surprising that was and how big that was at the time because it legitimately gave Oklahoma the lead and the defense scored points for the Sooners last year to give them the lead in the Rose Bowl. And obviously the game didn't turn out well, but just everything kind of compares to that. I don't know if – I mean, the the two fumble sixes against West Virginia, I mean, both of those are pretty incredible and surprising. And then the the defensive – the safety by Trey Brown, also incredible. But they all kind of – to me, they're all kind of in the same same level. But the, the Rose Bowl touchdown by the defense is uh, – a step above, but yeah, that was yeah. In that moment, that was, that was crazy. I'm just I, in retrospect though, they lost the game, so it's it, it's hard for it to hold up. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree that like in if, if you're talking about like in the points of the game and 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 how big it was that the the fumble returned for a touchdown in the Rose Bowl it was a bigger play. And my guy, I, I mean, I legitimately lost my voice after that play happened. I was there and I was screaming, yeah, you were there, you I saw was it, screaming my mouth off during that when that happened. Screaming um, my mouth off. <laughs> it, my mouth literally <laughs> fell off. It was weird. Um, but yeah. So I now, mean, it, now I'm good with now I'm good with any sort of post game all encompassing okay. thoughts. And I think we got to start with Kyler Murray. Sure. Well, let me let, before we get to Kyler Murray, just because, and I I have I have a ton of thoughts on Kyler Murray. Um, also, this is this should not even be a competitive Heisman Trophy race anymore. By the way, I'll be really upset if it is. Um, and so let, let me just say this just about the team as a whole, Lee. I've just been kind of waiting all this this laugh or this uh, this last back half of the season, sort of for just the knockout blow to be, uh, to be delivered to this team, so I could finally pro- proclaim it as perhaps you know my least favorite OU team ever. It's 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 been a roller coaster with this team this year, and I I, I have not enjoyed watching them at, at all times this year. But Lee, after this game, they might be one of my favorite OU teams ever. And that was because this was one of the best character games that I've that I've seen in my two decades of being an OU fan, and, and I did not think that this team was capable of it. So I, I just I, I give the hats off. They they were men today, and they got you know Texas came in looking to punch them in the mouth, and they responded, and they they did a good job of of, of coming through with a win when they did not have their best stuff, and it was a total team victory, and I I love stuff like that. This is. This after that game, this has the look of a special team, and I never thought that I would ever say that about this team. Well said. I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah, and so that's just more of a. Now we can talk about how awesome Kyler is and how he just had the best season <laughs> uh, for a quarterback in the history of college football. And if he doesn't win the Heisman Trophy, uh, there's a lot of people who should get their their votes just revoked. Yeah, and to be fair to Tua, I mean, going into Saturday. If they both had really nice games, really good games, uh, I mean, I'd vote for Kyler Murray. I've seen a lot more Kyler Murray this year. I've seen a good amount of Tua as well. But I, I think the the vote for Tua, if they both would have had great games on Saturday, would have been easily defensible. And sure, you can defend that because he's had 
a historical season for the most part as well. But yeah, after Saturday, and they made a comment, the announcers did during the Big 12 title game that you probably caught, and some of you that are listening caught too. They said that only 10% of the Heisman ballots had been submitted up to this point, and everything is due Monday. If that's true, and all these Heisman Trophy voters watched all the games on Saturday, Kyler Murray should run away and hide with this one, Grant. It should, like you said a moment ago, it shouldn't be that close. Tua Tagovailoa is a great, great college football player, but he was hobbled against Georgia. He was plagued by a couple drops early, so to be fair to him, some of his guys didn't help him out early in the game, but he also made some poor throws when he was playing. He didn't show a lot of mobility, and I know he's been kind of nicked up. He took a couple of bad sacks, and he left the game in the fourth quarter, and his backup quarterback came in. That is not a bad player. Jalen Hurts started for them, and Jalen Hurts, I can't, this is so bad. He won a national championship, right? Or did they lose to Deshaun Watson in that? They that lost game? to Clemson. That was the game where that, that Clemson won the national okay, title. Okay, so okay, so but he had a pretty good national championship game. He had that long touchdown run at the end of the game that made it look like Alabama was going to win. So Jalen Hurts is a very experienced player. He started all last year and then got benched at halftime last season in the title game. He hadn't played a whole lot this year because two was a lot better than him. He comes in cold off the bench against a Georgia defense that's still very good. And he elevates the team. He had more mobility than Tua because he wasn't injured. And he made a lot of nice plays in that game. And if you flip that around and Kyler Murray wouldn't have played the fourth quarter of the OU-Texas game and Austin Kendall had to come into the game, there's no way Oklahoma beats Texas with Austin Kendall. I like Austin Kendall. It's just the way that they're two different players and coming off cold off the bench. And that's, just, that's enough right there. It shows you that, yes, Tua was a great player, but Kyler Murray is so much more valuable to his team than to a Tagovailoa, and he should easily be the Heisman Trophy winner. He's got better numbers than Tua as well. He's just also he's an incredible football. He's just a he's a better he's it's it's he's a better quarterback than Tua. Can I just he can is I, well yeah? Can I just bring up the the talking point that ends this argument altogether? Tua tag of Tua Tagovailoa has really played in one consequential game all season, and he was dreadful. He was dreadful on Saturday. He was just as bad as Jason White was against Kansas State in twenty in two thousand three in the Big Twelve Championship game. And and I and I and Larry Fitzgerald should have won the Heisman that year, by the way. Um Tua was awful in the biggest game of the season, and his backup quarterback came in and beat the team that he couldn't do anything against. If you give that guy the Heisman trophy, it is an absolute joke. A joke. You cannot you cannot be awful in the biggest game of the year against the best team you've played all year and be the best team or be the best player in the country. I'm sorry, it's just not possible. What we saw yesterday from Tua, Kyler Murray is not capable of a performance that bad. It's possible in a different year when there's not a whole lot of great candidates, but in a year when it's legitimately Tua Tagovailoa versus Kyler Murray and both of them have been phenomenal and Kyler Murray has legitimately not had a bad game all season long. You can't do that in that setting. And also, and Tua too, did. Yeah, and I will. I I agree with you that if Tua would have come out and had just a great game yesterday, um, it, it would have picking either of them would have been totally defensible. After yesterday, writing writing Tua Tagovailoa as first place in the Heisman is not defensible one shred at all. I agree. We're very biased, but again, we like to bring up the fact that we try to be as non-biased as possible and look at it from a different lens, from an outsider's lens. Look at it from a lens of a college football fan, somebody that likes the, the sport. 
it just doesn't it doesn't hold the argument just doesn't hold any weight to me anymore I mean Kyler Murray has been so awesome this year he's been better than anybody would have thought um and and I'm excited I, I again I'm not a big Heisman Trophy guy but I got into it last year because I was really excited about Baker Mayfield winning it because he should have and he ran away with it in the end and you know, I know that Kyler Murray was kind of like one of those dark horse guys. Like, yeah, I mean, he could be really, really good, but he also, you know, who knows? He's never started a full year at quarterback before, and he's been fantastic. I mean, he's been the best player in college football this year and been one of the best quarterbacks of all time in a single season. Maybe the best. He is His impact on Oklahoma this year is similar to that of Cam Newton uh, for that, that 2010 Auburn team. Um and and frankly, if if you're going to see Oklahoma advance in this thing, you're going to have to see a Cam a Cam Newton like performance against Alabama, in all likelihood from Kyler Murray. One more note on OU. How about Marquise Brown? All right, his reaction. He was crying. He to me, the fact that it was his foot. I was thinking, man, it's probably a broken foot. There's no way they're going to get him. But on that ESPN selection show, I think it was Reese Davis, one of the hosts, just. He mentioned kind of in passing that all indications are from Norman that they're expecting Brown to be available for the playoff game. And he didn't really go into any details and where he got that from. I don't know if maybe I mean, if it's just Oklahoma making sure they get out. Hey, like, oh, yeah, he's going to play just so Alabama knows that they got to prepare for him. And so maybe maybe it's just all kind of smoke and mirrors. But. I guess that's positive news. Did you hear that when you were watching the show, or did you turn it off before that? I didn't hear it. I saw. I saw it on Twitter. I don't. I, I mean, I haven't heard that at all. So I've. Well, that's ever, what it, I think it was. Reese Davis or Chris Fowler, one of those two guys. All the whispers. Said, I'm, all, yeah, as I say, all the whispers I'm hearing are the exact opposite of that. So. So who knows where he got that information from? Yeah. So I, I'm. I'm. I am assuming that he will not be playing in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, the way he was reacting and getting carted off, it just. It kind of looks like probably a broken foot if it was his foot, which yeah. you can't so, heal a broken bone that quickly. For sure. And so I'm, I, I, I think this. Unless you're, uh, geez, I'm blanking. Unless you're Gosh. Percy Harvin. Yes, Percy Harvin. Gosh, thank you. So I, I think, I, I think, you know, analyzing this, this development is pretty open and shut. Here's the deal Hollywood Brown being out for the Orange Bowl potentially is, is clearly just a massive blow. And I'm assuming he's not going to play. But bottom, bottom line is, Lee. They're going to need a special team performance to beat Alabama anyway. Might as well stack the odds even further against the team. So, you know, they, they were going to need a special performance with Hollywood Brown and now without him too, presumably. So, hey, I guess just just make it harder, I suppose. Sure. Because, like, there's no other way to spin it. I mean, that's... I, yeah, I'm not, I agree. I think that's yeah, a good way to put I, it. I, it's, it's a huge blow, and it it certainly affects OU's chances of winning the game. I I agree. That's a fair assessment. Want to do some three-word reviews real fast before we get back into the playoff talk? Might as well. Let's go to Twitter. Our cousin James. His three. Actually, you know what? I always make this mistake. Let's start with our three-word reviews. Grant, do you have yours yet? Good team win. And you already mine heard. Is, you already heard why. I don't need to uh, to uh, to expand on that. Mine was actually almost the same as yours, just different words. Complete team effort. Effort is a good, yeah, that's a good, effort is probably a better word there, just because, like I said, I don't think, I don't think the offense, I I thought the offense probably played their second to worst game of the season last night. Geez, Saturday night, yesterday afternoon. This whole weekend is just a a big blur to you. I haven't, I didn't, I didn't leave the couch like once yesterday, so maybe (laughs) that's why. I need to get out of the house. Let's read some of your three word reviews. Our cousin James, we want Bama. 
Amy, Red River Redemption. That's a good one. Josh, Big Oklahoma Conference. Four straight Big 12 titles, Grant. First time Oklahoma's won four straight conference titles since the mid-'80s when Barry Switzer was the head coach. How about that? First time any college football has done that in 22 seasons. Since the Gators, since Steve Spurrier. 93 through 96. Yep. Warren's three-word review. Big play defense. Billy, still champ you. (laughs) Michaels is pretty funny. Cool. Horns down. Dude from Edmond. Defense, defense, defense. Michael with another one. Defense showed up. Scott, thank you. Next. <laughs> Once you get onto the playoffs. It's an, it's an Ariana Grande reference. I'll give oh, him a it? Yeah, it's, that's pretty funny. I like it. Yeah, don't uh, come to me with any sort of music information because I'll it'll likely go right over my head. I, I you know, music. Lee doesn't music really Lee mess. doesn't Lee doesn't listen to music. He doesn't like joy and fun. Mm-hmm. Yep, that sounds about correct. Robert's three word review. And this is obviously before today on Sunday. His it's interesting. Your move, college football playoff, but he he uh, abbreviated it with CFP, so it fits into our three word review rules. Dakota, more of a somber three word review. We lost Hollywood, and Billy's back with one more three word review. Ohio State sucks. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Over on Facebook, we have some more. Phillips three word review defense won it with a question mark mark a very similar one defense trending up <laughs> yeah it is and you know what hey I'll I came uh, some people thought I was crazy for coming up and saying hey I was a little uh, a little encouraged by what I saw against West Virginia despite them giving up 700 yards and 56 points <laughs> <laughs> but the, what we saw on Saturday is what encouraged me for the most part, and I, I think they actually have some stuff to, to build on. They're not a good defense by any stretch of the imagination, but sometimes even bad defenses can get off the field, and we saw that on Saturday. Phillip, another three-word review. Offense stalls defense. Sydney's three-word review. Defense showed up. TJ never doubted it. <laughs> Wes's three-word review. What? A safety? <laughs> God, and an awesome safety it was. <laughs> that uh, you know what I just that three word review could go two different routes. Obviously, Trey Brown's play, also Trey Norwood playing safety. What a safety! Uh, Miranda's got QB pressure. That's a good one, and that's true. We haven't seen a whole lot of pressure put on the quarterback. When you get pressure on a guy like Sam Ellinger, that's even nicer. Benjamin in all caps. Good job, defense. More from Benjamin. He says, also, Texas, not back. Chase, horns down, Tom. (laughs) Uh, Chase, another one. Enjoy the hat. Did you see they had a different hat in the locker room? It was like a big old, like, straw hat. It was a straw hat that was was spray-painted gold. It's kind of funny. Yeah, the the offensive lineman had it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Trey also wants Bama. We want Bama. Carry refs for MVPs. I don't know if I agree with that. We kind of talked about the refs earlier. I'm sorry. Caleb. After I, 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 it's Texas fans have a lot of freaking gall complaining about the referees after last year's game. So sh- I'm sorry. Sit down. 
Sit sit the hell down. It's garbage. Well, Carrie's not a Texas fan, but I know. But still, that's that's me. Just that's me. Just more just responding to it. It's just it's the whole thing is also. Hey, did you notice that Texas was actually called for a holding penalty on a kickoff return against Oklahoma? I did. You you texted me when that happened. You were pretty excited. I don't think that's ever happened before because I I immediately think back to the 2008 game when Jordan Shipley had that kickoff return touchdown and you watch it back and there's at least two guys getting held. And it was obviously not called. That oh, was hey, a huge play in the game. Hey, and the miss. Hey, when I the, it was when I started actually feeling good about the game, and I sort of started to react or uh, uh, relax, is when Dicker miss or got the extra point got blocked. They missed a kick. Yeah, and and in my mind, I was like, because I actually saw Bledsoe get close the kick before that, and it was in the back of my mind. So when it happened, it didn't really surprise me that much. But um, God, it, it's just it's great to see them miss a kick, and it. it turned up i mean i think it was it that was the last point that was the last points texas scored so you know they wow um, yeah I'll, I'll take it that that's sort of what i don't know the the air kind of started to come out of the balloon for texas there i think caleb's three-word review is referencing lee morris and kyler holy cow somewhat creative hunter horns feelings hurt a couple more left dakota best day ever and Jamar has a couple at the end here. What a year and defense steps up. So, again, thanks to you all for submitting your three-word reviews. Way to get creative. You all are really good at these. It's always fun to, to go through them all. All right, let's get back into the college football playoff discussion. Oklahoma and Bama. We'll have a whole month to talk about that, Grant. Where do you want to start here? Because I know we talked for about four or five minutes at the top of the show just about the whole Georgia thing and how annoying that was. Um, well, can we first else? can we first just acknowledge that Alabama Georgia was one of the best college football games? I mean, in in recent memory, that was an insane game. Um, really good game. I actually went back and watched rewatched more of that than the OU game. I got up until the midway through the third quarter, and uh, yeah, it, it, I gotta say this: uh, Jake Fromm has improved significantly from last year. He's a really good quarterback. This guy could potentially be. Uh, a first round draft pick just he got good size he's decently mobile and he's he's able to put the ball in a lot of good spots uh jake Fromm's a really nice player and there's no surprise that he's been able to easily hold on to that starting quarterback job over that true freshman that for whatever random reason is georgia continues to put him in fields for a couple of random packages here and there every time they put him on on the field in that game grant it didn't seem like georgia did anything positive because it's obvious what's going to happen when he's in the game. That's why it doesn't make sense to really ever use... Like, I don't understand the, the, the change-ups to running quarterbacks these days when they're not really a threat to throw the ball. You, you're, you're signaling to the defense, you know, like, here's exactly what's coming. Yeah, but Fields is supposed to be a guy who can throw. And I know when they first brought him into the game, the first or second time, that he was looking to throw, but then he didn't throw and scrambled, probably because he's... I mean, when I, the, the one game this year where he got a lot of snaps and I watched, to me, that's what he looked like to me. He looked like a guy, he was a one-read player, things broke down, I got to run and use my legs. And that's exactly what happened on that particular play in the SEC title game. Yeah. And then, <coughs> oh, excuse me, and then just the um, just the, the, the drama in, in the game surrounding, and I know, I, I kind of have a feeling that you think the whole Jalen Hurts to a tag of oil, I think is probably a little played out. I thought that was just insanely dramatic. I, I thought that was... That that was what made, that's what makes sports great. That entire thing. So I, I thought that was great. Um, I, I I'm think a, it's played out. I agree that it's incredibly dramatic. I just have more of an issue with 
a lot of the after the game thoughts and just the general thoughts on Jalen Hurts. Okay, so and you the didn't whole situation. Yeah. So so you didn't have you you thought him coming in for two and winning the game was was a great story because it is. It's that's such a great story. Yeah, good for him. I honestly, I because I'm a jerk. I was actually hoping that he wouldn't succeed and it would be like, yeah, that this is why this is why Jalen Hurts was not playing because he's not that good. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a jerk for that, but you know, good for Jalen Hurts. He he played well. He. He did. He had a, a couple of really nice plays, a couple of really nice throws, and then the touchdown run to win the game, essentially. Yeah. And so this is, I mean, that game kind of, that game didn't necessarily go exactly how I thought it was. Um, that's about. But you were more on that than I was. I was thinking yeah. more Alabama boat race. And that was the way that Georgia. That was a bad call. The way Georgia moved the ball on offense is, is very, is kind of how I envisioned them, you know, their success against Alabama. I did envision that. I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily see Alabama struggling so much because I, I don't think I ever would have accounted for the fact that Tua would have just been dreadful, and he was—he was dreadful. Um, and I'm sure—I'm sure Georgia's physical corners on their small receivers probably had had you know some to do with that. But um, I, I just what if just the second half of that game was so awesome that the those 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 two uh, touchdown drives with Jalen Hurt, uh, Jalen Hurd were just. Jalen, who is it? Jalen Hurts? Jeez, Jalen Hurts, the, the receiver for Baylor. Yeah. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> um, I just, th- I mean, that was just high drama. That, that was some of the most dramatic fourth quarter things I, I've really ever seen in college football, and I thought it was just great. And, and it would have, and just a, a rematch between those two teams in the playoff would have just ruined the insane wonderfulness of, of that game as well. So, yeah. I mean, after we saw the rankings today, Georgia wins that game, and yeah, I mean they, they obviously that yeah Oklahoma and Ohio State both get left out, um, so which would have been wrong as well. That would have been the wrong call as well. But um, I well, just, then do you think Alabama should have been out then? Yes, yeah, I'm okay. I'm I'm all for I'm all for the the very first thing that we should um, be looking for in this playoff thing is logical consistency. And it literally is not logically possible for you to win the national championship if you're not the best team in your conference. It is not. It's it's legitimately impossible for you to be the best team in the country if you do not win your conference. So well, I, that I, argument already was ripped up last year. I know, and they, made it. and they were wrong last year. So I, I just it needs to be. There is no other sport in the uh in the world you know organized sports league in the world that uses subjective measures to crown their playoff teams it's all based on results it's just, it's stupid it makes no sense whatsoever just to say hey we're going to put these guys in because they look like they're the fourth best team if we do that what are we doing here what are we doing this seems like a fluid transition into just ripping on the college football playoff unless you still want to talk about the current situation. And again, I mean, I don't see any use in talking Oklahoma-Bama right now. It, I saw Dean Blevins, my boss at News 9, tweet that OU opened as 14-point dogs to Bama. That sounds about right. I, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it more, but I mean, on a general level, let's, let's just say what the reality is. OU is a big underdog against Alabama, and they should be. It's going to take a really special effort for them to beat Alabama. Um, and we'll we'll go deeper into it to kind of where we think maybe they'll, they'll be able to exploit Alabama and whatnot. But just really, if you want to if if you want to reduce the game to that, that that's really what it is. They're going to have to play their best game uh, since the last time they beat Alabama to beat Alabama this time. I think that's pretty clear. 
Yeah, and in the coming weeks, we'll have a lot more detailed explanation of that. And I'll be looking forward to watching more Bama tape because by the time we got to the Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl last year, I almost felt like I could call every single Georgia offensive play before they snapped the ball. I did too. I, I mean, thought. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope that I can get a, the same kind of feel for Alabama's offense uh, that I, I did for Georgia. I share your annoyance with all the college football playoff stuff. I've been saying for a couple of years now, you know, who am I? I'm, I'm a nobody, but I, I always get annoyed when I hear, you know, the, t- the talk right now from a lot of people is, Maybe after today, after Sunday, we're going to move more towards an eight-team playoff. Sure, eight-team playoff, that sounds great. But I get annoyed by that because a different organization, a different league that's one level below FBS didn't stop at eight. They're at 24. And I don't want you to listen to me say that, like 24, and then just roll your eyes and think, oh, that's impossible. Why would you think that's impossible? Just because it's never been that way? Because this is the way things have always been. They do it at the, in the FCS level. By the way, the last two weeks, the FCS has had playoff games. They've had playoff game weekends, Friday, Saturdays. I think they might even play on Sundays. No, I think they just play Friday, Saturday. And for the last two weeks, they've had playoff games. They started with 24 teams. Now the FCS is down to eight teams. And this year, the top eight seeds all advance to the quarterfinals. But in years past... There have been teams in the top eight who have lost in the round of 16. And I bring that up because, well, that's pretty great for teams who got a shot at the playoffs, even though they were not considered one of the best eight teams in FCS college football. And those teams then went on to beat one of the best eight teams to advance. That's what real playoffs are. That's why real playoffs are really cool. That's why we like the NFL playoffs. And to a lesser extent, the NBA playoffs. And maybe if you're a huge baseball fan, the Major League Baseball playoffs. And also the college basketball, NCAA tournament. Uh, More teams get a chance to play meaningful games and potentially win a national title. So I like the idea of eight. I want more. I know it's not going to happen. So I just wanted to start at that premise that I'm annoyed by people who say eight is perfect. You're just saying that because eight would include the five main conference champs, the big conferences, and then, oh, three wild cards. But the reason, what a random number of wild cards. But the reason why it's only three is because eight's an even number. And, you know, there's been playoffs of eight teams. So, but why not make it more? So I'll start with that. I have a whole lot more to go. I posted on Facebook and on Twitter asking for listeners' thoughts of, hey, make the argument for playoff expansion against playoff expansion i've never heard a compelling argument for a against playoff expansion keep it at four every time i hear somebody argue for that it's just it's not compelling whatsoever and i wanted to get some arguments from those out there you know to why they want to keep it well should we summarize what Typically, people who are against expansion, they, they usually have two lines of argument. Should we, well, should we summarize Before those? Before you get to that, I did get one reply on the Facebook page from Caleb. And so he was actually arguing against expanse. Uh, he's actually arguing for expansion, but not a very big expansion. Here's what Caleb says. And I think this might get into one of the points you're about to bring up. Caleb says playoffs, if too large, would kill the regular season. 
I am, however, in favor for a six-team playoff. Every Power 5 champ in, plus the highest-ranked group of five in, one and two get first-round buys. And so I replied to Caleb, and I asked him, can you please expand on why you believe a larger playoff would be a detriment to the regular season? Because I'd like to get some examples. You know, why is that? And so Caleb's response to me on that is, excitement is simply moved down to the 16 to 18 spots instead of being at the top spots late in the season so Oklahoma fans wouldn't be having near as much fun right now and that's what college football is all about watching teams fall uh, watching teams fail to try and make the playoff so that's Caleb's argument to why uh, the the regular season would be killed Caleb I don't agree with your argument and here's why you're having a lot of fun right now as an Oklahoma fan, right? Oklahoma beat Texas. Great. You know what would be a lot more fun? Knowing that when the playoff actually begins and you got a, you have that first round bye to the round of 16, and then you're playing a, a team, I don't know, that, that won its way into the round of 16, that's pretty exciting, knowing that you're going to be going up against... I don't know whoever would win somebody in the top 25 and you're 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 playing an incredibly meaningful playoff game and you're going to probably be a huge favorite and it's going to be a home game in Norman and then you know what you win that game you play another one in the round of eight how exciting would that be and then you keep going throughout December and you know what the entire month of December is not just a huge waiting game for these playoff games we're actually watching meaningful college football during the month of December like the FCS is people that are huge fans of the FCF S love the playoffs there because they've played the past two weeks. They'll play this weekend. They'll play the semifinals after that. Then they get about a two or three week break. And then after New Year's, they come back and play the national championship game at a neutral site. So the argument of that, uh, the excitement's moved down to the 16 to 18 spots because he was referencing, he was, he was kind of arguing against the 2014 playoff that I put out there. I, I just I guess I just don't buy that argument because I guess your argument is that you're ex, you get excited right now and you like watching teams trying to make the playoff. I like watching playoff games, more and more playoff games. So I guess that's my argument to that. Um, now, Grant, what you were going to say, you know, the arguments of other people who are against the playoff. Thank you to Caleb for for giving us some information there. So we, we have one person. I didn't get anybody else responding. Unfortunately, I kind of put it out late, but uh you were going to go into all the other details of why others say no to the college football playoff expanding. Well, no, I thought we should just we should just summarize what the basic arguments against expansion are from here. And the number one argument always uh, brought up is that it would devalue the regular season argument. Um, and then the second argument always is that there's not enough teams to put in there that are capable of winning the national championship. I think. That's oh my an, gosh! I, I think I, I hate that argument. If that's, that's such, oh if, my god! If, if 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 that's the case, I mean, if if that's what the uh, if that's what the criteria is for determining like a champion, I why why is there 16 teams in the NBA playoffs? Like yeah. I don't like it's we we know we we know there's only two or three teams that can win the championship in the NBA. Why do we do 16? It's because it's awesome. It's because it's really entertaining. And it's good for the sport to see good high-level basketball. In that, in that case, um, I think Lee. After, uh, especially after Saturday, I think the best, um, the the best argument for expansion is that Alabama Georgia game. That was a playoff game. That was a playoff game right there. And my argument is that there needs just, just needs to be more of those because that game was great for college football. And if that were the case, there would just be more games like that. Um, and they would all, they'd be playoff games. So I'm, um, 
let me let me just go to the the argument that it would devalue the regular season. I think it would actually make the regular season a lot more fun, um, just because you are kind of uh, you're you're making the you're making the the pie bigger so that more teams can have a chance. Um, therefore, you're you're creating a lot more drama at the lower levels of the sport. Um, to uh, you know, I, he made the argument that that Oklahoma fans now wouldn't be having as much fun. I don't think that's true at all. Um, this is Oklahoma football. We're always going to be excited watching Oklahoma football. Um, I, I would ask him, are you like a Cowboys fan or are you a Patriots fan? Are you do do you take uh, do do you take uh, any week of the NFL season uh, less seriously? Like if you're if you're twelve and zero and a and a Colts fan like I used to be, and they were in that position actually quite a bit. I, I was always hanging on to every single game, even if there wasn't direct playoff implications, because there would still be seeding implications. If you drop this game, hey, maybe I won't get a home playoff game. If you drop this game, hey, maybe I won't get that buy anymore. I'm outside the top eight. It would just it would put much more meaning on every single game. And so right now where we are, every game does have national title uh, implications generally in college football. But after you're removed from the national title discussion, Every game, like the game's subsequent games, literally do not matter at all. So what it would do, it would just make, it, it, it would it would widen out the opportunity for there to be much more, um, just much more dramatic games. And it would be, it would be up and down the, the country. It's not, it's not just the top four teams or the top eight teams. It's, um, like last year, for instance, a team like Oklahoma State, on, on the last week of the season, would have been playing for a playoff berth against maybe someone else who was playing for a playoff berth. Are you telling me you wouldn't watch that game and be completely into it the entire time? It would be insane. So, um, I mean, I use, use this year, for example, a Saturday night. The Big Ten title game was only meaningful for Ohio State and it ended up not even being meaningful. Northwestern could have been playing for a playoff spot. I mean, Northwestern could have been going, we, we win this game. We're in the playoff. In the current system, Northwestern was just trying to win a game and go to the Rose Bowl. Or it's like I know that for Northwestern, that's a big deal. So I, I suppose people would argue like, well, that playoffs don't ma- don't matter that much to some teams, and you know, like that that's a big deal for us for Northwestern. But you know what, Northwestern fans, if you had an opportunity to make the college football playoff with a win over Ohio State, I think you would have been more excited about that than a trip to the Rose Bowl. And Washington course, I, beating Utah. I mean, Washington's starting to play a little bit better recently. Washington, you know, congrats. They're going to go to the Rose Bowl, too. Uh, but Washington certainly could be a viable playoff contender right now in a different s- scenario. I mean, the games would have mattered a whole lot more. Utah could have had a playoff shot. I mean, the, that, <laughs> game, created, that game played in the snow last night. The Mountain West Championship game would have had playoff implications. Yes, yes. And to be fair, too, if they went to a, a larger playoff that I want, these conference championship games wouldn't even exist anymore. They'd have to do away with them. And that would Which be a me- good thing because I'm, I'm, yes. just, I'm, I'm just telling you if that were the case. So things that need to happen to get to the point that we want. One, every conference needs to play the same amount of games. That needs to change right away. The SEC is at an unfair advantage right now, only playing eight conference games with the two divisions with a 14-team conference. What that does is create artificial teams that have good records playing bad teams. Um, and teams like Alabama and Georgia, they get credit for beating bad teams with good records who play crappy out-of-conference schedules, is what that is. Um, and that needs to change right away. That's, that's crap. They are at an unfair advantage there. I, I think a lot of... Um, they're, they're playing four non-conference games right now while everyone else is playing three. 
And that's just and not also fair. too. We can make the argument every single year. Yeah, the SEC is a really good conference, but the SEC is incredibly top heavy. It's Alabama. It's Georgia. And then it's just kind of a bunch of teams. It, it, LSU's had a good season. LSU's probably the next the next one. And then I guess Florida, but Florida's very flawed. Mississippi State's incredibly flawed. Don't even get me started with Kentucky. So a larger playoff, a 2014 playoff, would eliminate all of this artificial inflation of rankings where a team like Georgia and a team like Alabama is going to be like, oh my gosh, look at all those ranked SEC teams. That they, You know what? A larger playoff doesn't matter. You know what? Either, you know, maybe... The SEC is really good. Maybe the Big 12 is really good or bad. In a larger playoff set setting, that wouldn't matter anymore because then you would settle it on the field in a playoff. And, you know, maybe as the playoff would go on, then you'd get more of an idea of like, oh, man, the SEC actually was really darn good this year. Or, yeah, the SEC actually, you could tell, is pretty pretty top-heavy with Alabama and Georgia again. And Florida and Kentucky, you know, they got knocked off by a MAC team. And I'm sorry, that's I know that's kind of an extreme case. But, you know what, you would have that chance of – you know, a team like UCF, even without McKenzie Milton, which without McKenzie Milton, they're still I know they beat Memphis, but, you know, still. Uh, but, you know, who knows? You know, a team like Appalachian State in the Sun Belt, that's a good team. You know, who knows? Maybe they could go in in uh, the first round of a 2014 playoff. You know, obviously, they're not going to be playing a top eight team because a top eight team gets a bye. They would be playing. App- they'd be playing a team very, very similar to the quality of Penn State, a team that they took to overtime this year in their house. Great point. Great point. You know what? And who doesn't want to watch that? It's a who doesn't watch that game? It just it would be more football. And, and plus, you're, know, plus have, it would also open up to um, a, a loss in the non-conference would not kill you. No, big yes, time okay. non-conference games can only help you. That would lead to better non-conference schedules, better non-conference games that we would be able to see. It's just I. It's a no-brainer in my mind, and you know, I I don't I don't get as I don't get as gung ho about the twenty-four teamer as you do. I kind of look at it a little more realistically. I think once we get to eight, people will be like, "Oh crap, this is awesome," and they're going to want to go to sixteen and then twenty-four. I think we are going to get there eventually because people are will slowly start to realize how great it is, just like they have here with this four-team playoff, um, and just the drama associated with the game. College football, I, I think there's it's always been the misnomer that the that college football is great because of the bowl system and how how we put so much importance on a week to week basis. And I think that argument is kind of starting to show cracks and and it's it's been this playoff that has that has done that. Um, I, I think people just want to see really good college football. It's the pageantry, it's the atmosphere and the passion that makes college football so great. And expanding the playoff would only expand all of that, I believe. Um, we just I I want to see college football with uh, with the tradition and all of that played at the highest level and the highest leverage of situations, and I want them to be able to do that as many times as humanly possible in a given season. And I think expanding the playoff uh, is the best way to do that. That leads me then perfectly to the argument that I have not really used at all that I kind of just came around to in the last week or two, and it plays off what you just said a bit. Grant, and this might not be fair, because I know that people like Joel Klatt, who are very much against the playoff expanding, Barrett Salee, a college football writer, also I heard him recently talk about how he's not a fan of the playoff expanding. Here's what I am accusing those people of, and I know they would, they would be offended by what I'm about to say, and they would call me an idiot. You know what you guys are doing? Arguing against expanding the playoff, that's telling me that you don't really like college football as much as you think you do. Why would you argue against more meaningful college football games in the month of December. Why would you argue against that? 
We're getting a massive break after Saturday. Who cares about the the bowl games that are going to be going to be played from December 17th or whatever on until the playoff? The teams that are in them will somewhat care, but for the most part, the only reason to care about those games is if it's the holidays and there's nothing else on or you're going to bet on them. You're going to throw some money down and just make them interesting. That's ridiculous. With a bigger playoff, there is not going to be this large break between conference champions. Well, they wouldn't have, in my opinion, they wouldn't have a conference championship weekend. They would just go, boom, regular season ends. Let's start the playoff the next week, just like the NFL does, just like FCS does. And you get to see week to week playoff games in December. And don't give me the argument that it's too many games and it's bad for the student athletes, blah, 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 because Again, they do it in the FCS. I saw a quote earlier. I was looking this up, doing some research, that some players have been quoted before that played in the FCS playoffs. They say, nah, it's not that big of a deal. We just kind of adjust to it, do the schedule. And if there's finals here and there, they sometimes adjust practice times. Sure, no big deal. They adjust to it. What about high school? High school is also important, right? High school, getting your education there. In Texas, Grant, they're still playing high school football playoffs in Texas. They don't play the, the state title games in Texas until Christmas time. They're going to be playing for the next few weeks. They're going to play up to 16 games in high school. Don't talk to me about how it's too many games and it's bad for student athletes. That's bull crap. It's all it is is because it's always been this way, and it's slowly changing with the, with the BCS. It's slowly changed finally with the college football playoff. It's just people who are in charge of college football. They don't think there's a problem. They don't care as much about it as we all do that actually like college football and aren't in giant positions of power. And that might not be fair for me to accuse them of that, but I will do that because they are the ones with the power that aren't changing anything and thought four was a good idea for some reason. Initially, they just thought polls were a good idea to give a national championship out, which is so stupid. So you know what? I get really fired up about this, as you can tell, because it always comes back to this. We are all being shortchanged on college football. We aren't being shortchanged in the NFL. The NFL playoffs are fantastic. The NFL regular season is fantastic. I love it. It's my favorite sport because the playoffs are cool and the playoffs aren't stupid like college football. If college football had a better playoff system, it would be really close between what I like more, NFL or college football. But because of college football's ridiculous, stupid playoff setting, it makes me more annoyed than anything. I'm happy, once again, that Oklahoma is in the playoff. I'm happy that Oklahoma has at least one more meaningful game to play. I'm Lee, not happy that we got to wait 30 days for it, though. Lee, that, that Alabama-Georgia game yesterday, the atmosphere in that game is better than any NFL game that's probably ever been played. I mean, like, you know, I, I'm You serious. might be right. Because you know what? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's in Georgia. I mean, I... You can make the argument with the NFL playoffs. They play games at home sites. I mean, NFL fans are, are crazy, Grant. You know that. I mean, get home playoff games last year for the Eagles, I'm sure, were nuts. Absolutely nuts. And they would be nuts on a college campus, too. A home playoff game for Alabama, for Georgia, for Oklahoma, for any of these amazing traditional college football powers, and not even just the powers, teams that aren't even traditional powers. It would be a spectacle with which we have not ever seen. And yet we are being denied that by college football and the people that are in charge. Why? Because it's just always kind of been this way. And it's just it's really difficult to make changes. In. And I'm sure a bigger reason, money and contracts 
and sponsorship deals and all this stuff that we don't really think a whole lot about but are just nailed over the head with over and over again on days like Saturday by Dr. Pepper because every single conference championship game is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. By the way, I like their ad campaign with all the Fansville stuff this year. It was very clever and it's kind of funny. But still, back to my point though, I just I don't like how we were being shortchanged with college football. And when it comes down to it, everybody just kind of moves on with their lives because it's sports and it doesn't matter all that much. And I get that. But this is why I get so fired up about it, because I just want it to be better because it can be better and it would not be that difficult to make better. Uh, I'm I'm a loss for words. But uh, I how about we go back to the point I made about five minutes ago? Those arguing against the playoff expansion, some of these people describe themselves as they love college football. It's their favorite sport. So why are you arguing against more college football games? Why? Well, because they don't they don't see it that way. They they truthfully do believe that it will water it down. They're wrong, but that's what they truthfully believe. So I, I wouldn't I I wouldn't accuse them of not liking college football more than the rest of us. That this is why they're making the argument. They like it as it is and they think changing it will will be for the worse. They're wrong. They're very wrong about that. Uh, just like the people who are wrong who who wanted to change to a playoff in the BCS, and I'm sure there were a ton of people who were really against the BCS and the Bowl Alliance before that. Every single time, the people against change have been wildly wrong. Every single time. Um, and it, it's going to continue happening this year. I think uh, one of the big things that needs to happen is I think people really need to... Um, they, they really need to get comfortable with the fact that Bulls are going to go away. People need to get comfortable with that and that and the, and and that it's going to be okay when they do go away. That it's not the bulls that make college football great. It really isn't. It is the pageantry, the passion of the fan base and the tradition and just the really unique college campuses and and all of that stuff that make college football great. It is not the bowl games, everybody. The Rose Bowl maybe, but that's really it. It's it's what we love about college football is the passion and you get you do not get any more passion than what you saw in the SEC championship game on Saturday, what you saw in the Big 12 championship on Saturday. And that is what you are going to if you expand the playoff. That's the type of games that you're signing up for. And it's going to be, and there's going to be more of them. So even if there are duds, it's okay because there's just going to be more down the pipeline. It's been this season, Lee, that has, that has crystallized my thinking on it more than anything because this has been a garbage, garbage season of college football with not a lot of consequential games, and the ones that were consequential sucked. So, you know, I, I just... Let's, let's make the pie bigger. Let's make our sport a lot more dramatic and a lot more entertaining. Let's expand this thing. It's, I know uh, Barrett Salee is a guy who comes out and says, hey, this stuff with the debate and teams getting let out or left out it's not a bug it's a feature of the playoff it's a it's an argument that i that i respect that he's making but i think frankly i think it's the wrong argument because i'm sorry this is a bug it is it is making people not as interested do, do not do not fool yourself that the first 30 minutes of that selection show today there's not a single person on planet earth who enjoyed that everybody hate watched that and that is what you're signing up for if if you think that this is a feature and not a bug I like it. Yeah, I That was I, a disgrace that first 30 minutes. I just a bunch a bunch of people just throwing stuff against the wall to see if it would stick. Just throwing their feelings out there. It's the sucked. last 24 hours you could argue. I, ever ever since the end of the Big 10 title game, the SEC title game, ever when all the, the Georgia talk started up, it yeah, I mean it it really is disgraceful. 
because it's just ridiculous based on the current setup. And that's all we have to go by because the current setup is stupid. Simple. It's it's what it is. It's it's not it's better than it was before, but it's still stupid. Hmm. I had one more point, I thought. But maybe it's uh, it's escaped me. All right. Well, I thought you had a lot of passion today. I felt that way, too. Maybe uh, if I had another point, I'll think of it next time we do a show. Any final thoughts? Not really. I'm just kind of, I, you know, I, I don't mind games like this where OU is going in as just as the clear underdog. It just, it takes a lot of pressure off. I'm, you know, it's not a game I'm nervous for at all. I'm just, I'm excited to watch Kyler against Alabama. I, you know, I'm, I, I'm going in with, into that game, at least right now. I mean, it's, it's, you know, about two hours after the matchup had been, has been announced, but, um, I'm going into that game completely with clear eyes. I know it's going to take a, a really historical performance from Oklahoma to beat Alabama. And you know what? I this, this team, what they've showed me the last two weeks, I, th- I think I think they can do it. I think it's possible. You know, I, I think this team is is more equipped to beat Alabama than that 2013 team was. Um, and I just I, I I'm not going to put it past Kyler Murray to have a legendary, amazing performance. Certainly possible. All right, that's it for today. Stay tuned to our Facebook page for details on the next episode. With a bit of a break here between conference championship weekend and then the playoff game, the show schedule is probably going to change a little bit. A little bit. We'll do our best to keep you all updated. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.